Matthew chapter 6, which is page 970 in the Church Bibles, and page 1508 in the Large Print Bibles. Matthew chapter 6. And this evening we're going to look uh, just at verses 19 uh, down to verse 24. Well, recently, over the summer holidays, I lost my wallet, which was very frustrating. I know that it was some time uh, while I was at home... And it's definitely somewhere, I'm sure, in the house. But I haven't found it yet, and it's been a long time. So I've had to cancel the cards and get new ones and all those kind of things. And it was just before we went on holiday, which was really frustrating, because it meant that my wife had to pay for everything. But what was most annoying was that I had £20 in my wallet. And since I haven't found it, I can't get the £20 back. And the £20 is in two £10 notes. And at first I was annoyed and then I thought, well, you know, it could be quite good because in months to come I might find this wallet and I'll have £20. That was until last week I was listening to the radio and it explained how the £10 notes are soon to be out of date. So if I find my wallet after a certain date, even the money inside the wallet will be worthless and all of the cards will be useless. And if I don't find it by after that date, it doesn't matter if I find it or I don't. Everything becomes old. Everything gets out of date, even the money that is in our wallets. Psalm 39 verses 4 to 6 reminds us that we don't last forever either. Show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You have made my days a mere hand breadth. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath, even those who seem secure. And and seeming secure uh, really means people that have got enough to be happy and content and have all that they need. Even them, they're going to pass away eventually. Nothing that we possess is going to last very long and in the context of eternity None of us are going to last very long either. And this truth that we and everything we own is going to not last very long should impact us greatly. Uh, I had a pastor friend who was a mentor when I was in Devon and one time uh, he said that one of the best spiritual exercises he ever did was to spend a couple of hours at the tip. He spent time at the tip looking at all of the TVs that once were really up to date, all of the fridges that once were state of the art, all of the other appliances that are rusting away, and it helped him to realise that none of these material things last very long at all. Everything we own eventually really will end up in some kind of tip. And Jesus introduces us to this pattern of thought in our passage tonight in the Sermon on the Mount. So let's read together Matthew chapter 6, and I'm going to read from verses 19 to 24. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, 
Where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is God's word. And this word uh, comes to us as part of this sermon where in this section in chapter 6, Jesus is talking about living life in the presence of an eternal heavenly father. Remember in this chapter, the phrase father is used 13 times. And having an understanding that our father is with us always and will be for eternity impacts how we live today, right now, in our temporary situation. So in verses 1 to 18, we saw last week how the knowledge that we live in the light of an eternal heavenly father who is always with us impacts how we practice our righteousness. We practice our righteousness not for our own glory so that people applaud us now, but so that we are doing it for our Heavenly Father who is watching us and who rewards us in heaven. We give him the glory in all that we do. If we live in the light that God is always with us, always watching us, and is with us forever, we're going to our Father and will be there for eternity, it impacts how we practice our righteousness. But in the light of our Heavenly Father's eternal presence, we strive also to use what we have in terms of our possessions for his glory. It impacts our attitude towards the earthly gifts that God gives us. And I use the phrase tonight a lot, gifts, good gifts from God. Because when we think of things like money and possessions and family and hobbies and all of those things and jobs, They're not bad things. They are gifts that God gives to his people. But how we live with those gifts, our attitude towards them, should be impacted greatly by the knowledge that they don't last forever, but our Heavenly Father, who is eternal and to whom we are going, does last forever. Materialism is not a 21st century problem alone. 500 years ago, John Calvin wrote this. It is a major plague which we find rampant amongst mankind that they have a mad and insatiable desire for possessions. It's always been a problem, a mad and insatiable desire for possessions. And so the question for us this evening is this. How do we live in the Father's presence in terms of our attitude towards what we own, the earthly gifts that God gives us. And in answering that question, 
we must understand earthly gifts is more than mere possessions. It includes that, of course, but it includes our families, our spouse and our children and grandchildren. It includes the food that we eat, the hobbies that we have. Anything else that we have or do that is legitimate for us to have, but doesn't last forever and can be worshipped instead of God. But first of all, it's worth uh, understanding that these gifts from God are good and they can be and they are to be enjoyed. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 4, uh, Paul writes, For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. So Jesus is not going to teach us here that the things we have are bad in and of themselves. We're not to go home and just get rid of everything because it's bad. It's not what we have that's the problem. It's our attitude towards what we have. You see? It's not what we have that Jesus is talking of here, but the attitude towards what we have. And the attitude is radically changed when we live in the light of our Father's eternal presence. The important point to remember is the eternal presence. That is, God our Father, who is in, who is forever, but he lives with us now in this temporary world and he is always watching over us. And if we truly believe that our Father is eternal and that we are going to be with him forever and if we believe truly that we are rewarded in heaven for how we live for God on earth, then it makes no sense at all to focus all of our energy and our time on the temporary things of this world when we should be Focusing on something that is eternal, something far greater. The good gifts from God are not only temporary and so shouldn't be the sole focus of our lives, but they are also dangerous. They can become idols. When we make God's good gifts idols, we use them in a way which focuses on them and on the temporary aspect of them rather than on our eternal heavenly father. So these things are good gifts, but we are to use them with an eternal focus in mind and for the glory of our eternal father in heaven. And Jesus tells us three ways in this passage in which the good gifts that God gives us can become idols when we are not living in the light of our father's eternal presence. And he uses uh, three illustrations to show us a heavenly use of earthly things. He uses two treasures, two eyes, and two masters. Two treasures, two eyes, and two masters. And each of these uh, show us the danger of choosing the wrong treasure, the wrong eye, and the wrong master. So first of all, the two treasures. In, with the two treasures, Jesus teaches us that earthly treasures take our heart from the Father. Earthly treasures takes our heart from the Father. So look again at verses 19 to 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Let's uh, stop there, actually, at verse 20. So, to store up 
is to accumulate over time and to keep or to stockpile. So treasures are valuables that would be put in a treasury. Now, for us, we might think of a safe or a, or a bank. But in those days, they didn't have banks and they didn't have safes in the same way that we might think of today. The problem is not storing up treasure. And the problem is not even storing it up for yourselves. The problem, rather, is the location of the treasure. The difference is earth and heaven. So Jesus says, do not, it's a command, isn't it? Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Treasures on earth are temporary treasures that will perish. So these are things that have no value in eternity. The fact that they're temporary is shown by what happens to them when they are attacked by moths, by vermin, and by thieves. Now, in the days when this was written, people's treasure was usually one of three things. Garments, grain, and gold. Okay, garments, grain, and gold. There was no banks to store things in, so people would keep them in a secure place in their home. The garments, or the clothes, would get destroyed by moths who would... Uh, do what they do, perhaps in some of your wardrobes, I don't know. They come in and they eat away at the clothes uh, that were uh, stored away. Grain could be destroyed by vermin that eat it up. Now the word for vermin here uh, means something that eats up. And that's why in older versions of the Bible you might, you might know this uh, verse by heart by using the word rust. Because rust is another thing that eats away at something, it corrodes it. And that's what the vermin are doing to the grain. It's eating the grain, uh, corroding it, if you like. And gold, well, that can be taken by thieves. In these days, the, the houses were made of clay, and thieves literally would dig through the wall and find a, a hole where the treasure would be and go in the house and, and, and take it out. In other words, none of these things, the garments, the grain, the gold, are, are secure and, and they can all be destroyed. And in fact, they all will be destroyed eventually. All of our earthly treasures go the same way. Clothes, they either wear out or we grow out of them. Our possessions, they decay and they rust and they get eaten up over time. And our money is depleted. Even our £10 notes become out of date. In fact, there are other thieves, aren't there, that take our earthly treasures Time robs us of the use of them. Financial problems can rob us. Illness can rob us. And ultimately, death takes the lot away from us. None of the physical, material things that we have on earth can be taken with us to heaven. They all disappear eventually. So earthly treasures are not a secure investment. And John Calvin says, what can be more senseless than to put one's goods where they either will waste on their own or be snatched up by robbers? So how do we store up treasures on earth? Well, first of all, we can do this by amassing God's gifts and not using them for his glory. We just hoard more and more and more and more stuff. Either... The miser, 
who hoards and, and doesn't, uh, doesn't use it at all. Or the materialist who uses it but always wants more and uses it for themselves. We store up treasures on earth by taking such pride in the gifts that God gives us. And we use them to show off how great we are. Look at my big house. Look at my wonderful car. Look at all the stuff that I have. I've got the latest of this and the greatest of that. That's storing up treasures on earth. Or we store up treasures on earth simply by using them selfishly only for ourselves. And not for anybody else. Not sharing, if you like. Does this describe how we are using what God has given us? Are we just amassing more and more stuff? Are we taking pride in material things? Are we using them? purely for selfish reasons, not sharing. Jesus says instead, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Well, what does this mean? Well, if treasures on earth are things that have no value in eternity, then heavenly treasures are what lasts forever, things of eternal value. But it's interesting to think that to store up treasures in heaven, we do so while we're on earth. So that must mean that the good gifts that God gives us, which we could use as treasures on earth, can also be used to build up treasures in heaven, if we use them for his glory. So this is why Jesus isn't saying that all material things are bad. It's how we use them. So, for example, my money can be used to hoard, to be proud, or selfishly. And I'm storing up that treasure on earth. But my money can be used for God's glory in generosity and uh, and helping other people and such things. Well, that's using the same thing to store up treasure in heaven. So storing up treasure in heaven means thinking about what gifts God has given us and how we can use them for his glory. And that means we use what God has given us in obedience to his word. What does his word teach us about how we use our possessions? It teaches us to be generous and to be wise. We need to remember the Bible teaches us that we are to be stewards of what God has given us. And that we will one day give account for all that God has given us and how we've used it. In Luke's account of this, uh, which and he gives uh, an account of the Sermon on the Mount as well, this is what he says. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. And similarly, Paul writes to Timothy, as we read earlier, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. So we see in these verses that generous giving is storing up treasure in heaven. But also, treasures in heaven can be linked to the heavenly rewards that were in verses 1 to 18. When Jesus says about how we give, how we fast, how we pray, 
he says that we do so to our Father and we are rewarded in heaven. What is the reward? We're not told exactly what it is, but we know that Jesus himself is a reward. God himself is a great reward that will be with him forever. But we are told that we're rewarded elsewhere in the scriptures. Jesus says that when we give on earth, we get 10,000 times what we have given in heaven. In other words, we can be sure that when we give on earth, we're not going to be in heaven and think, oh, you know what, I wish I'd have given less. God will reward us for how we use our possessions for him on this earth. But there's a reason that Christians are to store treasures in heaven that goes further than just because we'll be rewarded. Look at verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So our treasure takes our heart. The heart is our innermost self. It is where our affection lies. Our treasure, you see, is what we value the most. It's what is most important in our lives. It takes an investment of ourselves, of our time, of our money. And what we value most ultimately will take our worship. If, if that treasure is something other than God, then you will begin to worship that instead of God. And it will drag you away from him. Think about this for a moment. Think of some of the good gifts that God has given us that we mentioned earlier. So, for example, think of our possessions. If we treasure our possessions, that is, they are the most important thing to us, then we will do whatever it takes to get more of them. It will lead us to be tight-fisted with our finances so that we can afford more possessions. It will stop us being hospitable because we won't want others to touch our stuff. It means that time will be taken from spending with God because we want to spend time using all of the stuff that we've just purchased. Think about our hobbies. Some of us can be really passionate about our hobbies and that's a good thing. Good gifts from God. But if you treasure them above all things, above God, then when there's a choice to be made between God and the hobby, the hobby wins out. Or food. We can treasure food. We can think about it all the time and we can become unhealthy to the point where it hinders our service to God. It can take our heart from worshipping God and we worship our bellies instead. Or our work. We can treasure our jobs so much that we disobey God in order to get up the ladder to please other people. You see, if our treasure is those good gifts, then it takes us away from God because it takes our hearts. Now, there can be many other examples too. All of these things are good gifts, but by using them wisely, we can store up treasures in heaven. But the question to ask is, where where is your treasure? Because there also is your heart. So earthly treasure takes our heart from the Father. But there's another danger associated with not living in the light of our eternal heavenly Father. And that's Jesus' second example. And that is teaching us that earthly focus takes our vision off the Father. Look at verses 22 and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. 
If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Jesus uses here an illustration of a lamp. Now, as you all know, I'm sure, the purpose of a lamp is to give light to a room. And the reason we want light in the room is so that we can see where we are going. And Jesus says that the eye is the lamp of the body. So the eye, by providing sight, enables the body to see where it's going. A healthy eye that has no impediments enables you to have the light to see where you're going. If a lamp, which in those days was a candle or on a stand or an oil burner, had an untrimmed wick or was smoky or had depleted fuel then it was not going to give very much light, was it? And similarly, if the eye is unhealthy, for whatever reason, if if you're partially sighted or something like that and you need glasses, if if you haven't got the glasses on, you can't see really where you are going. And quite literally, we can walk into danger, can't we, if you can't see? Well, the illustration relates to earthly gifts. We know this because the previous... Uh, illustration talks about earthly treasures and the next illustration after talks about money. Jesus isn't just breaking off from the flow here to give us some tips on how to see better. He's talking about focusing on earthly concerns and forgetting about the fact that our Father in heaven is with us always. Eyes here relate to spiritual vision. If our eyes are focused on only the here and now, on the gifts that God has given us instead of the giver, then we miss the fellowship with God and we walk into danger. You cannot have true fellowship with God if your focus is not on him. It's like in in, in a marriage, isn't it? At home, if I've got my head in a book and Paula talks to me, unless I put the book down and focus on what she's saying, well, I'm not really having a conversation. In fact, I've agreed to all sorts of things because I thought that I can continue reading and have the conversation and then the thing happens and I said, did I agree to this? And I did, but it's because I was not focusing and I've gone into danger. (laughs) But what if I never get my head out of the book? What if I'm always there or I'm always watching the screen and I never focus on my wife at all? Well, then we wouldn't really have a marriage, would we? We wouldn't really have... A relationship. So it is with God when our focus is drawn away from him. And it's focused only on things of this earth. In fact, there's a big danger that Jesus mentions at the end of verse 23. He says, if then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Here's a situation where someone thinks that they have light, but really the light is darkness. I was thinking to, to help us understand this a little bit like drink driving. The drunk person thinks that they can see just fine. And so they think they can drive. But it's only when it's too late and they're in the car that they realise actually they can't drive. And they're dangerous. And the danger here for us is this. We can think that we have a right relationship with God because everything is going well in life. But we've been so drunk with focusing on the here and now, drunk with our material things, that we've given no thought to God at all, and we either don't have any fellowship with him, 
or we're just not effective. We're not used by him. How we use our earthly gifts for God is a barometer of our fellowship with him. And if we're not using them for his glory and all of our energy is focused on them, then we are in darkness and we're walking into spiritual danger. So how do we deal with this? Well, there is an interesting play on words here. You see, the word in Greek for healthy is similar to the word for generous. And the word unhealthy in the authorised version actually is the phrase is evil, where we get the phrase the evil eye. And an evil eye in the Bible is used for someone who is a miser or who gives grudgingly. And so Jesus here is linking healthy Christian living with generosity and unhealthy Christian living with being miserly. Being generous with our resources helps us to focus on heaven because through our generosity we are investing there. If we're giving to gospel causes, we're going to be interested in them, aren't we? We take an interest, a focus, where we invest our money. And if we're generous with our money in heavenly things, then we are going to be focused on them and interested in them. So let me challenge you. Where is your focus? Are you solely focused on what you have in the here and now, on the gift rather than the giver? Beware of the danger of this and realign your focus to your Heavenly Father. Well, how do we do that? Well, we've mentioned generosity as one way. But I think also just spending time in prayer meditating on how we are using our gifts. Perhaps fasting may help in this kind of a situation where we give focused time to assessing our lives, assessing our budgets, assessing how we use our things and asking ourselves, am I using these for God's glory? Is my focus with what God's given me on heaven or is it purely on earthbound things? So earthly treasure takes our heart from the Father. Earthly focus takes our vision from our Father. But there's one more danger that Jesus illustrates of not having the right attitude towards God's good gifts. And that's this. Earthly slavery takes our allegiance from our Father. Look again at verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and and money. Now the phrase master here is not talking about an employer. I could have two bosses. I could have three or four bosses in fact. The word master here is talking about a slave owner. You cannot be a slave to more than one master. Only one would own you. Now you may think, well, but we're not slaves. But in Romans chapter 6, Paul uses the metaphor of slavery to describe our existence. Listen to these words. In chapter 6, verse 6, Paul writes, we should no longer be slaves to sin. And then in verse 22, he writes, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. You see, we all are slaves 
to something. And we're either a slave to sin, this is Paul's argument in Romans 6, you're either a, a slave to sin, where you cannot but choose to sin, and everything you do is tainted by sin, and sin, we read, is a horrible master that leads you to hell. But God sets us free from that horrible master and makes us his slave, but he's a good master. And we read here in Romans 6 that he leads us to holy living, which is a life that we're designed to live by God and it lasts forever, eternal life. So Jesus is saying here, you cannot serve both masters. You can't serve the master of sin, or in this case the master of money, and God. You can't serve both. You see, this is all about who you belong to. You either give your allegiance to God, or you give your allegiance here to money. Which can be illustrative, I think, of any of the earthly gifts that we've mentioned. You can't serve both. One you will hate, and the other you will love. One you'll be devoted to, the other you'll despise. Now, love and hate here aren't necessarily absolute terms, I'm sure if you, uh, if you were to go and ask someone who, uh, who loves money, they're not going to admit they hate God. But in the way that we treat God, we treat him as if we do. It is not money and possessions that are condemned here. All good gifts come from God. It's serving them. Serving them that's condemned. So how do we serve money and possessions or any other temporary thing? Well, I think it is when we unthinkingly do what it tells us. Now, you may think, well, how does money tell me what to do? Well, here's a, I'll give you two example illustrations. Uh, first of all, uh, an upgrade. Okay, an upgrade. Uh, this is either a phone, a games console, a TV, a car, or whatever it is. When it comes to upgrade time... We are told you need an upgrade, aren't we? You need an upgrade. Your old phone now is obsolete. It's rubbish. You need an upgrade. Well, now, there's nothing necessarily wrong with getting an upgrade. But we need to not get that upgrade without thinking. That's the point here. So thinking, what, what's my motive behind this upgrade? Is it to keep up with my peers and to just look good? What's the cost of this upgrade? Can I afford it? Is it the best use of the money God's given me? Will it have features that would turn us away from God? You see, if we just upgrade because we're told we need an upgrade, or I'm told I need it, well then you're serving the person that's told you the upgrade, aren't you? If we we do what we are told without thinking, then we're serving money, not God. Or a second illustration, what about a job offer? When you take a job, are you taking it for the money only? Or are you considering the impact on your family, on your church? Are you thinking about what you will do with that money? Are you thinking about what they will ask of you? And whether it fits with biblical principles? If you just accept it because, well, it's more money, so I must say yes, well, you're bowing down to the master of money. Now, don't misunderstand me here. I'm not saying that having a good upgrade uh, in TV or phone or whatever, or having a high-paid job, is a bad thing. None of those things in and of themselves are bad. But the way we apply this passage is going to be different for all of us. But we need to think through 
how we use these things and how we react and act towards our money and possessions. Jesus says you cannot serve two masters. But you know, many Christians try. And you know, the most miserable Christians in the whole world are those that try this. And what's the, why are they the most miserable? Well, they're most miserable because they, are, they know that when they're using their... They're try, when, they, when they're trying to serve money, they're miserable because they can't really enjoy it because they know they shouldn't be. And when they're trying to serve God, they're miserable because they know they're not serving God properly. The most miserable Christians in the world are those that try to serve two masters. And the real reason they're miserable is because you cannot serve two masters. You love the one or hate the other. You cannot serve God and money. So don't try. Serve God. Well, in conclusion, in the light of all of this, we need to assess our lives, don't we? Where is our treasure? Where is our focus? Where is our allegiance? I think it's a good idea, perhaps even this week, that we take some time to think through these things. Perhaps speak to others about it in our family and in our church. When we look at Jesus Christ, though, we see a man, don't we, whose treasure was in heaven, whose focus was on his father, and whose allegiance was completely to his father's will. He lived in the light of the eternal presence of his father in heaven, and he gave up the glory of heaven to come to earth and to follow the father's will all the way to the cross where he died to pay for our sins. And Jesus asks for our whole hearts, not part of our hearts, our whole hearts. He asks for all of our possessions, that we use everything we have to his glory. And how can we not give everything to the one who gave everything for us? How can we hold things back from him when he has given us his life and has given us eternal life? And you know, the the thing is, it is worth it, isn't it? It is worth giving everything to God because there's no better investment of our earthly gifts than heaven where the rewards are reaped for eternity. It is true what Jim Elliot said. He is no fool to give what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let us be wise in how we use those good gifts that God has given us. Well, we're going to respond in song now. Uh, First of all, we're going to remind ourselves of how God is more precious than anything else, which is a chorus, Lord, you are more precious than silver. And then after that, we're going to sing... Uh, King of Kings, Majesty. So let's stand as we respond to God's word in song.